Welcome back to Clinicians Brief, the podcast, the conversations behind the content. I'm your host, Becky Mosser, and I am so excited to be here at the inaugural Chicago Vet Show with Miss Denise Tumblin, CPA. She's owner and president of WTA Veterinary Consultants, and she's going to be sharing her expertise in three sessions surrounding best practices and practice management here at Chicago Vet. Miss Denise, how are you? I'm doing really well, Becky. Thank you. Thanks so much for being here, taking the time out to talk to me today. I know it was a travel day for you. So. It was, but that's all right. <laughs> Give us, our listenership, a little idea of your background. Tell us you know, who you are, where you came from, and how you got here today. All right. So I am a CPA. I don't do taxes, though. I only work with veterinarians. So I started in this profession 26 years ago this year so a long time I was very young (laughs) very young and at that time I answered an ad in the newspaper you don't do that anymore but at that time I answered an ad in the newspaper so it was a lucky stroke of fate that brought me here and it's been really a fun profession to work in. So that's kind of how I ended up here. When you first started as a CPA, what came first, the veterinary or the CPA? The veterinary, actually. Well, so okay. I had an, an accounting degree, but when I joined WTA Veterinary Consultants, I needed to get some credentials behind my name, so I got my CPA. That's amazing. That's wonderful. And I think that's such an area that needs to be filled that we don't currently have in the specialty. We don't have a lot of financial experts working just in that veterinary space, so you are really probably filling a niche and I yes. love that and you're probably having the most fun of just about any CPA yes there, right they're really yes. missing the boat in fact this needs to be like a CPA podcast so they can hear like come over to the veterinary side where we have all the fun that is amazing well I love that and you know what we we wanted to talk to a little bit to you about today was this startup of the the well-managed practice benchmarks and the study behind it so can you kind of tell me a little bit about that this is fascinating sure so the founding partner of our our company um, when she started one of the things that she wanted to do was really focus on what the best practices are doing so there's lots of published data from average practices but we believe it's important to to aim for the best so that's how the well-managed practice benchmark study started and we've been doing that now for over 30 years wow. and we're just we're really trying to help the profession do better and we wanted to study what are the trends what are the things that some of the best managed practices do across the country and how can we help other practices take that information and apply it in their practice to improve their practice because at the end of the day my job is to help veterinarians do better in their business and if they can do better their team can do better so that's what it's about for me is helping people improve their their life, their family's life, their team members' life, and it's all through the business. You're right because money drives the mission, right? Well, actually, no, the patient drives the mission. You're, oh, fair. Yeah. That's absolutely fair. Yeah. When I I say money drives the mission in terms of. Um, when you say, I want to help the practices do better because of the family life and their life, that money drives that mission, I guess is what I That's want to say. That's true. Because yes. the financial security leads to, I feel okay enough to get away from work, to have the quiet time, to be in the headspace with the family. That that financial security can create an entirely different culture within the clinic. Oh, absolutely. You know, I often say that the patient really has to derive every decision in the practice. 
But if you focus on what's in the best interest of the patient, and the patient drives the medicine, the medicine drives the business, but you can't forget about the business because ultimately that impacts the patient care. So. It, right, and when you put it that way, money drives the mission is the worst thing I could say because then it is I'm thinking about the money and not the patient care. Exactly. And I meant the money in terms of the practice security and financial yes. security, but you're it was absolutely right. On a case-to-case basis, if money is our first thought because we are guilty of saying they're not going to pay for that or they're not going to be able to afford it. So in that content, you're absolutely right, and, and I'm thank you for clearing that point up because it's important and and yes. I love that mentality and and I want to go back to something you you said about these studies you said we looked at the best practices so define that what was the best practices what made you look at them um, so we actually have four pillars for a well managed practice and the first is the patient so the patient comes first in every decision the second pillar is all about the people and you've got to have a, a great culture to have great people yeah to take care of the patients. So that's our our second pillar. Our third pillar is about the client because if we don't have strong relationships with clients, then the practice doesn't go on. And then the fourth pillar is the financial pillar that you gotta pay attention to the, the financials. So when we say, some of the best practices, it doesn't mean that they don't have, still have opportunity for improvement, but it does mean that they are, they're paying attention to things in all of those four pillars to, again, build this great medical practice so they have great patient care, but then it's also financial rewarding, financially yeah. rewarding for everybody. That I mean, it makes complete sense, and I think it's an important thing to emphasize because all four of those things are important, and mm-hmm. you can be the most financially fit practice and not be the best practice. That's you right. can have a great culture and not be the best practice. That's you can right. have amazing clients and not have the best. You know, you can have great clients, bad culture, lots of money, bad. You know, there's so many mixes and matches. Yes. So I love that all of these have to be addressed and uh, equally of mm-hmm. concern within a clinic to be considered on your list best <laughs> yeah. practices. And I love that. So that's what makes somebody a best practice if you're out there wondering, how do I get to be this? You have to look at all of those pillars, mm-hmm. and it's really, really important. And kind of to that point, far be it from my nature to be blunt, but, you know, <laughs> a lot of practices are doing it well. I mean, not right. Let's just say that. You know, a lot of practices are not doing this right. I don't want to say they're necessarily doing it wrong, but I think there's a lot to be learned and lots of improvements to be made in the veterinary practice management side of things. I I think everybody would mostly agree with that in a lot of cases. So what do you see, what improvements are, are the biggest opportunities for impactful change, you know, across the board, at least financially speaking, to that pillar? I think first is team development. Investing more in the team, whether that's through better compensation and benefits, it's through ongoing training and continuing education to elevate their skill set so they can contribute at a higher level in the practice, and to keep their job interesting as well. You know, one of the things I love about this profession that we all are in is there's never a dull moment, right? Right. In all the time that I've done this, I can honestly say there's never been a day when I've said, oh, I'm bored or I don't want to go to work today because there's always something new. So I think the team development is probably one of the, the areas where I see lots of opportunity, yeah. <laughs> lots of practices to do to do a better job for yeah. the team. 
Yeah, I mean, well, it makes sense because your team is going to affect all your pillars. Because when you have a great team, you have great team culture, then you're going to make more money. Your clients are going to feel that. They're going to be happier. You can really affect every single one of those pillars by having great teams, right? Yes, you can. The patient care, first and foremost, yeah. And that it's it's so essential. I love, as especially as a, a support staff member, as a veterinary technician, that you're talking about the team, that you're talking about elevating and empowering the team as being one of the most impactful changes because I think you're absolutely right, and I think it – It's a domino effect to all of these other changes that need to be made. But, you know, to follow up with that, you know, looking at at this as a loss and and looking at other top losses and needs for practices, what are a few of those kind of realistic, actionable steps that a clinic could take to improve rapidly, at least-ish, but also simply? We're kind of resistant to change. It doesn't happen fast, and and it probably shouldn't. So just kind of... uh, tips and tricks, you know, to kind of help implement those changes to, to reduce those losses, to increase profitability, and to kind of address those pillars. So number one, I would say really developing the training and the continuing education program for the team. Because yeah. again, if we can elevate their skill set, it keeps them more engaged and excited about what they do. And they're in a position to contribute more to yeah. the, the practice. I think the second thing that where there's an opportunity in lots and lots of practices is in capture of charges. There's so much care that happens every day that never gets billed out to the client. And that's that's stressful. That puts a lot of stress on lots of things. One, it's frustrating for the team members when the practice owner says, I can't afford to give you a pay raise, and yet they see thousands of dollars worth of charges not ever billed out. And if they would just capture those charges, yeah. again, it just raises the bar for everybody. It raises, gives you the ability to invest in your patient care more, to invest in your team more. And what they do has value, so they need to be paid yeah. for what they're doing and, and not give it away. So I, I think that, and again, it's not always intentional. Sometimes it happens inadvertently. So um, to that, how is it happening inadvertently? Where are most of them getting yeah. missed? Sometimes it's the process. Sure. So for example, hospitalized patients or surgical care. If the charges are, if, if they wait to enter the charges for the whole hospital stay at discharge rather than every day, and the client's there tapping their toe waiting to go, yeah. you rush. And when you rush, you make mistakes. True. So that's one reason it happens. So that's a process problem if we just change the process and enter those charges. I think the second reason it happens is maybe we don't have enough team members or, and again, we end up rushing, or we've got people entering the charges that shouldn't be entering the charges like the doctors. Yes. <laughs> and it's not that the doctors aren't perfectly capable of doing it. Of course they are. But the doctors are much more likely to start dropping things off the bill than what the techs or the, the CSRs are. So I think those are the reasons why the missed charges happen. And, and they're sometimes intentional to, yeah. I'm not going to bill the client for that today for whatever reason. And and sometimes there's valid reasons for not charging sure. for things. But too often, there's not a valid reason. <laughs> you know, I, I, I agree with you so much. And, and I can say that in any clinic I've been in throughout my entire career, mischarges are an issue on a regular basis. And they get caught, right? It's, it's through the, the auditing processes. We'll see, hey, Mrs. Jones and Fluffy got out of here and we missed one or two things or whatever it was. 
you know, how do you recommend or how would you advise management in, in hospitals and clients to kind of deal with that? How, you know, I know we, we work in a really strong shame culture. Uh, it, it gets kind of mean and accusatory. And if the process is the problem, the process is rarely getting blamed. How can we help fix that and change that? So, so I understand entering them daily, but how do we help work with and encourage that team and get them on board with understanding how important it is to get those charges and what the effects of the missed, how do we help them? Because we know there's a problem where teams think, you know, oh, this hospital makes a fortune. They see so much money that maybe they aren't taking it that importantly. How can we get the whole team included in investment in the, invested in the financial importance of that? Well, the first thing I always do is say, let's start by identifying how often is it happening and what are our habits, what are our trends. So we have a habit of missing whatever. So identify what's happening first and then have a group conversation about it. It's a great CE project, internal CE project. And it's not to point fingers and say, why didn't you charge for that? It's really just, hey, as a group, let's talk about this and let's figure out if we have a habit of missing something regularly, yeah. let's talk about it and maybe we can figure out why. So I think it can be a team building exercise, actually, sure. if you approach it from the perspective of what can we learn from this, not what are we doing wrong. It's not that we're doing something wrong. It's just let's talk about how we can do this better. So to that point, in your lecture that's coming up tomorrow, right, so everybody can check you out tomorrow, you call this the value bus, right? You want everybody on the value bus so they get the value of the services and charging and being financially invested. So I kind of want to ask a little bit of a two-part question. But I think, in my experience, many clinics or clinic owners or business managers lack transparency in the finances with their staff. Mm -hmm. The staff doesn't necessarily know what it takes to run a clinic, how much it takes to run the clinic, what the bottom line is, you know, what do we have to make in a day just to keep these doors open and keep everybody paid. And I personally think that's a mistake. I think some managers and owners may think that there's a lack of interest among the staff or, you know, think we need to keep this private and, and keep that information. But I think this forces a team to sort of create their own truth Mm -hmm. around the financial stability or the financial status of the clinic. And so tell me more about the value bus and tell me what you think about the transparency need with the staff. Well, I do think it's important to share what it costs to run the hospital. You're right. The team members see what comes in, the gross revenue. But they don't always know what goes out, right. what what you have to spend, what the costs are associated with running the hospital. And it, this is a real personal thing. You know, one of the things I do with my clients is they always share their financials with me. And I, I often say, I always remind myself, it's like burying their soul because they're telling me everything yes. when they open my their books to them. And I take that, that's a big responsibility, and I'm very mindful and respectful of that. You know, it's hard for them to do that with an outside party. Yeah. Even harder, I think, for them to do it with their team. And there's, I think, a lot of people are uncomfortable sharing what I make as an owner. Yes. And I certainly work with clients that are comfortable. They're open book. Yeah. And they share it all. And then I work with clients that don't want to share any of it. So I always say, well, let's, can we come to some compromise? What are you comfortable sharing? So you don't have to share dollars necessarily, but can we talk about it in terms of percentages? Maybe we don't talk about 
what the owner compensation is, but we talk about what's the inventory cost in relation to revenue as a percentage of revenue, or even taking it down to a level that they understand when you think about their paycheck and you know how much of your paycheck goes towards your housing cost, how much goes towards your food bill, your grocery bill. So again, talking in percentages. So it's a way to present the information so that it's meaningful, it resonates with the individual. I've had clients in the past hand out different denominations of monopoly money yeah, and then ask people to guess with their denomination, however much money they have, which bill they're going to pay. So it's a way to communicate that you know your drug bill is $500 this month or whatever whatever the number is. So I've I've seen people do it that way and yeah. I think that's a great way to get people to make that connection. Again, I like the idea of did you know that for every dollar we bring in, it you know 25% of that goes towards our drugs and medical supplies and food costs and things like that. Did you know that 25% goes to the your team wages. Again, you don't have to put it in dollar terms, but as a percentage. So then hopefully what you're getting down to, so this is what I get paid as an owner because everybody else gets paid before I do. So, you know, we only have 10 cents of every dollar left or whatever the numbers are. Right. So that's a way I think, one, to bring it down to a, a meaningful level from a team member's perspective but also not be so specific that then people get uncomfortable. I love that because it's figure out where you're comfortable. You have to share the information, but you don't necessarily have to share it any one way. Yes. Find that way that it's comfortable for you, but that it's relatable to your entire staff so they feel like they have some understanding and you feel like they have some understanding because I have too heard managers say, well, they have no idea what it costs to run this clinic. And I say to them, well, whose fault is that? Did you ever share it? <laughs> Should they know? Do they? open the bills they certainly don't know and you don't want them to talk about their wages among each other oftentimes you know we see invoices the dollar amounts aren't on there just what we're supposed to get they don't have exposure to that Mm -hmm. so figure out what works for your clinic to share it with them but it's pretty valuable information to get them on board with oh it absolutely is and and again the approach has to be what can we learn from this not oh our inventory cost is too high what are you going to do about that we have to make it almost a brainstorming session, what ideas do you guys have? You know, I often say that if veterinarians would just listen to their team members, that I might be out of a job. <laughs> yeah. You know, it, you're so right. And I'm, I, I would hire you anytime. You yeah. can come on over. But it's so true because I, and, and, and I often hear support staff members say, I can't get my veterinarian on board. I know this would be better. I know we could do it this way. I've suggested this. And they've said, oh, no, they're resistant to that change. And you're right. I mean, you're basically, you're getting free advice. You're taking your whole team. Who Hopefully you're hiring for their brilliance right. and for their diversity, right. right? And saying, what ideas do you guys have? And I'll tell you what, these guys are resourceful, right? Because they have to be. They're resourceful financially. They're resourceful mechanically, right? We count on our, our technicians and support staffs to come up with the crazy things we need to accommodate, right? Like, can we take this 60 mil casing and do something that to cover this and do this? And we come up with the most creative things. 
credit them with having those brilliant ideas even financially it applies well, as well pretty exciting when your idea gets implemented and it works right yes, <laughs> yes. what that's such a great way to say yes. it. you feel like part of that team oh my that practice. Gosh. and that builds that culture pillar because now you have a whole team who feels involved there's autonomy there's you know agency and decision making and then like you said the reward of saying this happened and I've worked in clinics that do bonuses and they don't have to be huge they don't even really have to be like percentage oftentimes it was a if we meet goal this month you get a we a twenty dollar gift card or you know as a, like one time they bought the chrome sticks you know when they were cool the, that you plug oh. into your tv <laughs> you know and um at one time it was pedicures so there was there was just a little reward for everybody it was really quite affordable and i think they kept about a 25 dollar 30 dollar price range for the team but anytime they met goal there was a little prize in there and it's monthly so it feels like it's happening quite mm-hmm. frequently and there's an investment and, and and truly it wasn't even getting that much financial information about the clinic it was this is our goal and having everybody kind of aware that we have a dollar amount we're trying to meet and the importance of that. And and it made people feel like part of that part of the clinic too. So you feel like this whole clinic is my family. This whole clinic is my life. Mm-hmm. I'm part of all of it. So I love that you're sending this message out. I love that you're talking to people about this and asking to get them on board and you're doing it through the support staff by saying you got to do a better job with your team. And that That makes me really happy, I have to say. So I'm going to take you to the keep it brief part, and I want to emphasize for sure on that the point about your team. So as brief as you can keep it, and don't worry, nobody does. So you (laughs) tell us, what are the top three ways to afford an increase in, in team salaries? Well, I think pay, paying attention to spending, monitoring it, and doing something about it when it's too high. And clearly the two highest costs in a veterinary hospital are inventory cost and staff costs. I happen to think that there's more opportunity in managing your, your inventory cost than a lot of hospitals recognize. I'd rather invest more in the team, actually, so that we get more productive. So to me, when it comes to the team members, their pay, their compensation and benefits, to me, the approach is not fire somebody or cut wages. The approach is, what can we do to get more productive? So I always go to the revenue side. So capture of charges is number one on my list. And the consistency between the doctors, again, taking it back to the medicine, so if you have a four doctor practice but they're all practicing differently and some patients are getting a really high level of care lots of diagnostics that kind of thing and then maybe some others aren't getting that much uh, a different they're getting a different level of care not that it's a bad level of care just a different level of care so to me there's so much opportunity on the revenue side so that's what i would focus on is growing what can we do to get more productive and therefore grow the revenue with the same level of expense now your expense management suddenly looks better yeah and i love the emphasis on productivity because it isn't how can we do more make more charge more cut the cost it's how can we be more productive how can we get more done and more efficiency during our day nobody wants to be spinning their wheels everybody wants to feel efficient and productive and so it's an important emphasis i mean that makes a lot of sense to me and Mm -hmm. i i love that and i think it's a great message for a lot of the veterinarians out there a lot of the veterinary team members out there if a veterinary team member wanted to know more about the finances wanted to be more inclusive in that 
Like, how would they approach management? How would they approach their doctor? How do they have that conversation about, I want to know what's going on. I want to help. So I would take it to them from a perspective of, I don't need to know everything about the hospital financials, but I want to increase my knowledge. So I'm maybe I'm a technician who's involved with inventory in some way, certainly using it every day. Yeah. So what should we be spending on our inventory? What is our inventory cost? What's the goal for it? And I want to know what I can do to help the practice meet that goal. So that's the approach I would take is I'm not digging just to be nosy. I'm digging so I can do, I I would like more information so I can do a better job for the practice. I love that. Let them know why you want to know Mm -hmm. that it's all about helping them and helping them help you, right? We, We just all want to have a place to go to work every day. We all want to be doing great patient care. And we want to be able to advance the medicine that we do and do the best patient care. And sometimes it takes money to do that. We want new toys, right? We all want yep. new toys. And we Every want- practice has an equipment wish list. Yeah. And so I always say, if you want a piece of equipment, do the research. What does it cost? And then do some projecting about how often you're going to use that and what you're going to charge for the use of it so that you can calculate your return on that investment. So if a team member says, I really want, I don't know, a new cold laser, yeah, then go in with a proposal and, yes. and show the owner, okay, here's what it's gonna cost. I did the research. Here's how often I think we could do it. Here's how I think we could promote this and educate our clients about it. I mean, they're, and the cold laser, that's something the tech can do, right? right. Under the, the direction, of course. of course, of the doctor, but, that's something the tech can do. Yeah. So a lot of times it is presenting the value, but when you're out there as a support staff member or technician and you want to make a change, you want to implement something and you're going to send that proposal in, remember all four pillars. Remember it is not just about the money. Remember how it will contribute to the team, to the culture, to the patients, to the people and the practice. Yes. Because there is all four. And Mm -hmm. and try to remember all four of those pillars as we move through our day every day. It really is a beautiful sentiment. Not to be cheesy, that's beautiful and inspiring to me because we get lost in any one of those that we feel passionate about or that we aren't happy with. And we don't focus on all of them. And, and I, I think it's an important message that needs to continue to be sent. And on that point, if they want more information, if they want to know more about the benchmarks and the study, where can they find that? So the website for the Womanish Practice Benchmark Study is wmpb.vet. That stands for Well-Managed Practice Benchmarks, WMPB.vet. And And we'll put that in the show notes so that people can follow that link. That will be wonderful. So if you want more information, and where can they find you? Uh, So my website is wellmp.com. And I'm in Columbus, Ohio. You can just Google Denise Tumblin probably and find me. That's <laughs> so, right. Yes. That's wonderful. We'll put all that information in the show notes. I could talk to you about this all day. I get so engrossed in these conversations that we have behind the content. And we have such amazing people to talk to. And you are one of my absolute uh, favorites. Thank Denise. you. I love this conversation. <laughs> and I love what you're doing to support techs and support staff members. So 
support staff around the world is standing up and cheering for you right now. I know that you're saying pay them more, take good care of them, and that's exactly right. So thank you again for taking the time to come and talk with us today to help educate our audience. And and to my audience, thanks for listening. Thank you for coming in to get an education, to learn how to do this better by leveraging the experts that we have in these areas that have so much to contribute, that have so much passion. You're here to listen to what they have to say so that you can address these four pillars and that you can make your practices better. So thank you again so much. We are again here live at the inaugural Chicago Vet. If you're out here and you see us, please say hello. Tell us what you think of the podcast and come back next week so we can have more conversations behind the content. Thanks again to today's guests for joining us and thanks to you for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode, you can find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. While you're there, make sure you subscribe, rate, and review. We appreciate if you leave us all the stars. You can listen to podcasts as well on our website at cliniciansbrief.com backslash podcasts. You can find us at facebook.com backslash cliniciansbrief on Twitter at cliniciansbrief and on Instagram at clinicians.brief. You can also drop us a line at podcast at briefmedia.com. Clinicians Brief, the podcast is a brief media production produced by Alexis Ustry, sound by Randall Stupka, hosted by me, Becky Mosser, with special thanks to production assistant, Michelle Moncrez.